we don't deserve. Frankly, sometimes, God, we don't even desire you. And yet, you love. God, thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for your love. God, we just want to rest here. We want to say that your grace for today is enough for us. God, you are great. And so, God, we we ask that this morning that you would remove any barriers from us experiencing you, for us connecting with you, for us being with you. We remember those who aren't, aren't with us this morning, those that are battling sickness, those that are, are traveling. God, we ask that you would keep them safe, that you would bring health, that you would restore. God, we pray that this morning, that our time with you, that we would leave changed, that we would embrace that we would embrace you back. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Good morning. We are now 21 days into the new year, and uh, experts have said that it takes 21 days to build a habit, to succeed at our resolutions, right? I, I want to see a show of hands. How many of y'all made resolutions this year? You made a New Year's resolution? Not too many. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Then this next question is going to be really awkward. How many of y'all broke that resolution, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I think many people make resolutions this time of year because um, it's, it's what you do. It's, it's the new year. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me on the one hand that, like, you can make a resolution any time of year, right? You could make a resolution in July if you wanted to. But there's, there's something about, uh, I don't know if it's like courage or if it's like uh, more support, but this time of year, you know, we make resolutions. And, and what a better time to do that. You know, like we have a, a new year. We're turning the page. We're closing the book on 2017. We are, uh, we are beginning a new, uh, a new year with new hopes, new dreams. And so uh, we began two weeks ago with this message series called Reset. Reset. And, and, and I love that, that idea. You know, if you're anything like me, Sometimes you're going through life, you know, and you're going along and you're like, man, like, like I'm, I'm doing this, you know, I'm living my life, you know, it is smooth sailing, um, except for sometimes it's not. 
Except for sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes it's like, buckle your seatbelt, we're about to experience some turbulence. And, uh, you know, either way, you're living your life and, and you're going through the, the days, the months, the weeks, whatever it is, and you get to this place where you, you stop and you go, I don't, wait a second, I don't, I don't recognize where we are here. Um, how did I get, how did I get here? Um, I didn't mean to end up here. I, 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 I didn't expect life to look like this. Um, and, and yet, life doesn't have to look like that. And so, so we talk about reset because we get a do-over. We get a do-over. We get, we get to make life exactly what we want it to be or, or, more importantly, what God wants it to be. And so we press the reset button. I mean, it's like you're playing this game. You make a wrong move. It's okay. Just press the reset button. You can try again. And so before we go any further, you know, we're talking about reset because, because we believe in you. I believe in you. 2018 is your year. And we can all reset our lives. We can all reorient them around a God who loves us who loves us so, so very much, this year can be different. The last two weeks, Russ has talked about living by God's perspective and, and how just as we look to make a change, there are enemies to that change. But ultimately, if we can change how we think, you know, he was talking about Romans 12, right? If we can transform, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul says, then we can change how we act. And so today, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to talk about changing the culture around you. Changing the culture around you. See, it can be so hard sometimes to live the life that God desires for us, right? The life that God intended for us to experience. You know, I'm talking about that spiritual fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that fruit. It's sometimes hard to experience that when everything around us so is... Not that. And I, think, and I think we believe that the world would be different. The world would be different if everyone just, um, you know, if everyone's a Christian. We, we believe that the world would be different if everyone had the knowledge, the knowledge of the truth of Christ. But where do we begin? Where do we begin? How do we go about changing the culture. I mean, is it as simple as just sharing a Facebook post on my wall? Could I just could I just put something in my bio that says I'm a Christian and be done with it? Today, we're going to talk about embracing God's mission. Embracing God's mission and how you and I can truly change the world around us. Okay, so please turn in your Bibles. If you have them this morning, great. Turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you have your smartphone or your tablet, these notes are going to be in the, in the YouVersion Bible app. You're going to find that there. Just look for us under the events uh, tab there. 
But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now, Jesus is preaching this this great sermon that is known, uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just finished talking about the blessed life. He's just finished talking about that blessing that comes from the Lord. We call those the Beatitudes. And so here's what Jesus says beginning in verse 13. Here's what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm sure this passage of Scripture is familiar to you. It may have even brought up some some fond memories of, of childhood, right? Singing this little light of mine. Unfortunately, though, we, we just don't have any good songs about salt. It just, they're, they're not out there. If you want to write a song about salt, we might be able to throw it in some, some Sunday morning. Is that, is that cool, Josh? Yeah, okay, all right. But, but see, Jesus is talking about two things here. He's talking about salt, and he's talking about light, and he says that we are both of them. I mean, one of the things that makes this passage so popular is that it isn't hard to see what he means. It isn't terribly difficult to see the point. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But see, there's this unstated truth here that becomes very clear, and it's this. The world is dark, and the world is decaying. The first thing I want us to talk about today is if we're going to change the culture, if we're going to change the world around us, then we first need to understand the mission. Understand the mission, right? Uh, what, what is the mission? Well, let's take a look here. Uh, we're going to go to 1 Timothy 2, and, and Paul's talking about praying for, for all the people, uh, living lives of holiness and godliness before others. And so he says this. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hear that this morning. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants all to be saved. He wants all to repent. And that is what he desires. That's what God wants for us. And just three weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, right? We we celebrated that love came down. Jesus came to earth, the light and life of man, the hope of the world. What a tremendous gift. Jesus came to earth to save us when we were helpless, when, when we couldn't save ourselves, God saw our condition, sent his son. And in John 8, 12, Jesus says, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Later, in John 9, 5, Jesus says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But what happens now that he has ascended into heaven? What happens when the Son, the one who is the light, while he is in the world, is no longer in the world? Did he just leave the world to its own devices? No. The one who was the life and light of all mankind, as it says in John 1.4, has put the life and light into his people. So here in our passage today, Matthew 5.14, it says, You are the light of the world. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world. It is possible for Jesus to be the light of the world and us to be the light of the world if it is the same light. See, Jesus was and is the light, and now that light has been placed inside you and inside me when his life was bestowed upon us. When we are reborn, when we receive new life, that life and light of Jesus Christ has gone inside us, and our lives have become a beacon of light, a beacon of his light. See, do we understand the mission? Do we understand the mission that the baton has been passed? The torch has been lit. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants all to be saved, and you and I have the mission of going. We were once the mission, right? We are now saved. We have been lit. We are sent forth. And we have become the missionaries. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We understand that, right? But do we understand for God so loved the world that, that he, he sent his other sons and daughters on a mission? For God so loved the world that he put his son who was the light in the world that he might bestow his light on his other sons and daughters that whoever would see them would see him. See, there is no plan B. When Jesus comes back, that's it. Okay? There's no plan B in the meantime. God's plan is you and me made alive in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, his plan is for his people to go and change the world. The world is dying. It is rotting decaying to the core. And, and what is a better fix for a decaying world than salt? Salt preserves. It purifies. And that's what we are. We are the salt of the earth. Just like food, the only way that salt can make an impact is if it comes in contact with its environment. 
We take the salt to the earth. We take the light to the world. And so after we understand the mission, then we engage the culture. We engage the culture. What is the culture? Well, I use the word culture here to to kind of represent not just my neighborhood, not just my community, but the world around me. The culture is not just what I see in mainstream media. It's not just what's online. It's not just what's in my workplace or school or, or the way one talks or an acts the, when they're out and about. Um, I think if we understand the mission here, then we understand that we're not saved just for ourselves. That there is a culture around us. And yes, Jesus died for us, but he also died for them. Yes, God wants me to come alive, and he wants to give me the abundant life, but he also wants that for everyone around me. And I say this with the utmost respect, the utmost love here, is that you, you and I were not saved to find a church, walk to the nearest pew, and plant ourselves there. You and I were not saved to become Joe Pewsitter. The, the purpose of saving you, the purpose of saving me, was not that we would be safe and, and secure in our own Christian bubble, because we weren't saved to be safe. We just sang a song about the reckless love of God, and you want to bring safe into it? preaching to myself here. We are to be candles. Candles. See, my wife, my wife is a great decorator, okay? She's done a great job with our house, okay? Great job. I mean, really, she's good. She's good. Um, And uh, I I think there's something that I learned early on when we got married. Um, Maybe you guys experienced this too. Um, uh, But basically, uh, I, I think I noticed it but it just didn't register, okay? So here it is, all right? There are these candles in our home, okay? Hear me out. There's candles in our home, and they are used as uh, decoration. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, you never like them. Okay? Um, I think early on in my marriage, uh, I, I think I was going to light one, and, and, and Stephanie was like, oh, no, no, honey, you don't, you don't light those. Uh, I, I think the men in here get me on this, all right? Like, uh, can we agree just for a second that that is not a candle? Can we agree that that is not a candle. That, that, I mean, it may, it, may look, it may have the appearance of a candle. It may look like a candle, but uh, not a candle. Because candles were made to burn. They were made to give light. And if they're a Yankee candle, then they are made to make a delightful smell, okay? But the one thing that they are not made for is decoration, I mean, they, they, we can call them wax, uh, cylindrical things, you know, whatever. But I suppose, you know, honestly, we could use anything for decoration. 
I mean, let's, I know, let's decorate our home with flashlights. We'll take out the batteries, we'll place all these flashlights around, and we will call it good. I, I know I'm being a little facetious here, but, but candles were made to be lit. They were made to be lit. And Jesus says in our passage today, a city on a hill, a town on a hill can't be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to the whole house, to everyone in the room. See, candles were made for darkness. Hear me when I say that. Candles were made for darkness. Torches exist for darkness. Flashlights exist for darkness. It was so great in week one when Russ was talking uh, about renewing our mind and being changed personally. Because, see, we have to have the mind of Christ to understand the mission, but we have to have the heart of Christ to engage in that mission. See, our mission awaits. We take the light to the darkness. God's desire for, for us, for, for not just us, but, but all people, is to not stumble around in darkness. And yet that's what everybody does who's living in darkness. They're, they're stumbling, they're fumbling, they're, 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 they're just, I don't know, falling all over in the darkness, right? But see, we can see because we have the light, and so we have the opportunity to take this light to the darkness that they too may see. It is impossible for us to change what we do not see. Hear me when I say that. It is impossible for you to change what you don't see. You can't change what you can't recognize. There's an entire world that's been blinded. It's been blinded, not by light, but by darkness. I mean, it's like these cave fish. I don't know if you ever heard about these cave fish, right? There's these fish, they live in caves, okay? It's cave fish, it's what it is. Anyways, uh, so they're in these caves, right? And over time and uh, over darkness and over lack of not using your eyes because you're in pitch blackness, right, they become blind, these fish. They're blind. But see, our God, our God, who has placed his light inside of us, wants us to take that light to the world so that, once, so that what was once darkness will become light. Those who were once enslaved to the fumbling, the bumbling, the stumbling in the darkness are now set free to run to the Savior. They can run to the Father because they see him for the first time. They were blinded. Their eyes didn't see him. They can see him for the first time, and so they run. They can look love in the face because God is love. Man, I long, I long to see Jesus face to face, and I long for you to have that, and I long for your neighbors, my neighbors, your coworkers, to have that. See, when I think about the word engage, I think about this, this idea of being locked in, okay? Think about the word engage for a second. Maybe, maybe a lot of your minds go to uh, marriage proposals. Maybe, uh, you know, fiancés, betrothal, all that. You know, which I guess is one way to get locked in. 
okay? Uh, you know, you liked it, so you put a ring on it, and, and we get all that. Maybe if you're a little older uh, and, and a movie buff, maybe you thought of, uh, of the cinematic classic Top Gun right? Maverick. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one here, but, but the fighter pilot scene at the end, you know, is like, engage Maverick, you know, and, you know, they're, they're trying to get him to get in the fight. I'm reminded of Jonathan in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, there's this scene where the, the Israelites and the Philistines, they're at war with one another, right? This is after David, the shepherd boy, takes down the giant Goliath. And uh, at this point, God and King Saul, they're not really seeing eye to eye. Uh, God wants Saul to wait, and, and Saul attacks, and, and God wants Saul to attack, and Saul waits. It's really not a great situation there. But Jonathan, the lifelong friend of David, is not at all like his father Saul. And so in 1 Samuel 14, Saul and the Israelites are just sitting around and not engaging the Philistines. And so this is what it says in verse 6. This is what it says. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by, a few, whether by many or by few. I love that. If only we would engage our culture with the same spirited trust that Jonathan has. I mean, think about this, okay? The, the Philistines are over here. The Israelites are over here. Everybody's just kind of sitting around. Nothing's happening. And Jonathan turns to his trusty sidekick here and says, hey, let's go on over there. You know the army over there. We're going to go over there and we're going to pick a fight. He knows he very, very well may die, but he does it anyways because God desires it. And yet many of us are fearful. Many of us are fearful to make waves, to stick out too much. My, my question is this, what do we need the armor of God for if we aren't about engaging and changing the culture? What do we need the armor of God for? See, we understand the mission and we engage the culture, but, but practically, what does that look like? The third thing I want us to see here is this. We need to be attractively distinct. Attractively distinct. See, I heard, I heard Tim Keller, author, pastor in New York City, use this phrase, and I thought it was perfect. We are to be attractively distinct. Jesus says in our passage, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They will see your good deeds and glorify not you, but God. See, as a Christian, it shouldn't be hard for us to be distinct in the world. I mean, uh, we are the light and the world is not, and, and there's not really much more uh, unlikeness that we can get there. But that is assuming that indeed we have the light of Christ and, and that we will let it shine. But what about attractively distinct? That's another thing altogether. 
See, we live in a culture where we dislike the other. There's us and there's them. There's distrust for those who are not like us. And this isn't just true of of Christianity and other religions. It could be anything. There's lines drawn amongst the population. And the divides between us only seem to be getting wider. How can people see me as different and yet be attracted to that? My freshman year in college, I was at Miami University, and my Bible study leader, uh, he, he gave a, our, our, our little small group, our, our, our Bible study, he gave a little slip of paper with something written on it. <clears throat> this Bible study leader was a philosophy major, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think philosophy majors, they might, they might not be smarter than everyone else, but they certainly want you to think it. And, uh, and so as, as freshmen in college, we were, we were freshmen, he was, he was older, and we were like, oh my gosh, he is so smart. This is great. Uh, and and they, philosophy majors, they are thinkers, right? But to this day, I don't know if he actually made this up. I don't know. Uh, he may have made it up, or he may have read it somewhere or something, but either way, it doesn't matter. He gave us a little slip of paper, and I carried it around with me for years. Here's what it said. Live your life in such a beautiful way that those who observe it may say, if that person's belief system isn't true, it should be. Live your life in such a beautiful way that those who observe it may say, if that person's belief system isn't true, it should be. How can I live my life in such a beautiful way? How can I live my life with such brightness that they can't help but be drawn to it like moths to a flame? You know, I want to let my light shine in my home. I want to let my light shine when I'm out and about. You know, you need to let your light shine when you're at school, when you're at work. Let your light shine in the darkness. Let your light shine when you're at the ball field. Let it shine when you're on the golf course. Let it shine when you're at your desk or when you're in the boardroom. Let your light shine when you're out at dinner or when you're driving your car. See, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That they would see me and they would see Jesus. We need to give them something better. We need to give them something different. We need to give them Jesus. So there are plenty of ways to do this, but before we leave today, I want to give you maybe four concrete ways that, that, we, can, uh, that we can be attractively distinct, okay? Uh, way, ways that we can be attractively distinct, okay? So here we are. Again, there's many ways to do this. These are just four, okay? First one is this. Be known as fair, caring, and committed to others. Be known as fair, caring, and committed to others. See, we all know that in life and in business, that is a dog-eat-dog world, right? Just now, the world's eyes are being opened 
to the effects of power being used in unhealthy ways. You know, we read about misconduct and harassment and discrimination and abuse all over the place. It seems like every field is affected by this. But what would it look like to be known as fair, as caring, as committed to others in your workplace? What if we didn't buy into the way that the world does business? See, I saw this firsthand when I, when I worked for Chick-fil-A for five years, okay? Easy example, my experience at Chick-fil-A, everybody knows Chick-fil-A is different. They treat people differently. They're fair, they're caring, they're committed to others. As a side note, people still ask, when will they be open on Sunday? The answer, never. Never. Because they tell people that they are committed to their employees being able to worship on Sunday, being able to be with their families. But people are like, but think of all the money that they could make if they were open seven days instead of six. I used to love that one. I'd be in the store and they'd come in and they'd say that. Why would they be open a seventh day if they can make more in six days? than most others can make in seven. God said not to, so they didn't. They're attractively distinct. The second thing is leverage your power and influence for the sake of others. Leverage your power and influence for the sake of others. We have an opportunity each and every day where we are surrounded by people. Now, are people actual hearts and minds, or are they collateral? Are they seen as things? We are to leverage our power and influence for the sake of those around us and for the sake of those who are coming behind us. What if we, what, what if we didn't seek to win at all costs? What if we didn't just care about the results, but we cared about relationships? I mean, instead of using our position to uh, collect and consolidate power, what if we used our respective positions to raise others up? Think about this. Jesus humbled himself and was born a man. Jesus humbled himself and took up a towel and a basin to wash feet. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to death on a cross. If that is my king, then what is my excuse? Tim Keller tells a story of a young woman who was visiting his church, and she, she wasn't yet a believer. She, she hadn't embraced Christianity, but she was interested in learning more. And so uh, she, had, uh, she was interested in learning more because of this interaction that she had had with her boss. And here's what he says. Here's what he says, okay? Uh, she worked for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a big mistake. She thought it was going to cost her her job. And her, her boss went to his superior, and he took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some reputation, and he lost the ability to maneuver within the organization. And she was amazed by what he had done and went to thank him. 
She told him that she had often seen supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished, but she had never seen a supervisor take the blame for something she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different. He was very modest and deflected her questions, but she was insistent. And so finally, he told her, I'm a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for things I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. And that is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a moment. Looked him in the face. She goes, where do you go to church? That is what we call being attractively distinct. When you leverage your power and your influence for the sake of others. The next thing I want us to see is this. We give generously. This one speaks for itself, but when we give our time and our money freely, we show that those things don't have power over us. We're not shackled like much of the world. When we give generously and sacrificially, we're showing the heart and mind of Christ the world. And so we make them ask, why? Why would you do that? Because we are attractively distinct. The last one I want us to see is this. We're, we're known as calm and poised in the face of difficulty or failure. See, life is a struggle. Maybe not, maybe not all the time, but, but more than we like it to be, uh, the struggle is real. And how we respond to that struggle reveals where we've placed our hope, where we've placed our identity, we don't act impulsively. We don't panic. There's a difference between being authentic and ranting on Facebook. As Christians, we shouldn't be so easily tossed about by every little thing. As it says in Scripture, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We know that no matter how bleak things may seem, God does not abandon his people, and so we stand firm and we shine our light and point to the one who has a plan and a purpose. We are attractively distinct. See, God's plan for the world doesn't rest in the hands of politicians or elected officials. The hope of the world rests in Jesus Christ. The name above all names who has placed his light in you and me that we would go. That we would go into the world for the sake of the world. That they may see our light and say, I want that. Do people see our lives and say, I want that? Make it your goal 
to burn as bright as you can for as long as you can. Don't keep it to yourself, but rather take your light to the darkness and just see what happens. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. If you want to change the world, if you want to change the culture around you, trust mightily in a mighty God. Ephesians 5.13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Let's go and set the world on fire. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the privilege, the honor that it is to be known as yours, to belong to you, to be called your sons and daughters. God, what an awesome responsibility to entrust us with your light, with your mission. And so, God, we, we pray now that now that we understand the mission, that you would help us go that we would not be fearful, that we would not be afraid of what might happen. You have set us free so that we could go. And so, God, we pray that we would be obedient in that way. Help us not to hoard or be selfish by keeping you to ourselves. God, we confess that sometimes, sometimes we think that if, if that we will use you up, that if we give it away, we will lose it. <laughs> but God, that we know that can't be farther from the truth. Let us be obedient to the calling that you placed on our lives and pour out our lives for the sake of others. Use us, God. Use us up. We don't want to be a church that's just a salt pile. Pour us out. We want to be used. God, help us to be attractively distinct. We don't want to promote ourselves, but God, sometimes it's hard. We want what we don't have. We buy into the belief that if we don't promote ourselves, then nobody will. God, help us to remember that you'll take care of us. You will fill us up. You are for us, and that is enough. Help us to deny ourselves, sacrificially take up our cross and follow you in obedience. Today, tomorrow, and the next day, and forever.
Holy Spirit, lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of response. There will be prayer counselors available if you would like somebody to pray with you, but the altar is open. Please stand with me as we sing, and let's respond to the Lord together.